This morning we are, can you hear me now? I say that way too much. That commercial was like five years ago too, so. Well, this morning we're concluding a three-part preaching series entitled Created for Community as we look at three different relationships in Scripture and ask what they can teach us in this particularly isolating and lonely culture that we live in today. This morning we're finishing up with Paul and Timothy. In our text, Paul calls Timothy my beloved child. Now, of course, Paul is not Timothy's biological father. He is Timothy's spiritual father, his mentor. This morning, we're going to be talking about our relationship with the next generation. All of us, including the high school students, have people that are coming after us. And each person in this room needs to ask the question, what will my relationship look like with those coming after me, the next generation? Now, for you older folks, you might look at the teens and the young adults today and scratch your head a bit. What's wrong with kids today? Have you ever asked that question? Here's a quote from an older person talking about a younger person. Children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and they love chatter in place of exercise. Socrates wrote that 2,500 years ago. Friends, looking at the next generation with suspicion is nothing new. It's been happening for years. But for us, as the church, as a people who follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as a people who live differently than the world around us, how are we going to treat the next generation? What kind of impact will we have? The relationship between Paul and Timothy is, friends, an incredible model for us on how to bridge the generational gap. Paul and Timothy first meet in Acts chapter 16 on Paul's second missionary journey. We read there that Timothy's mother was Jewish and a believer in Christ and his father was Greek. The Christians in Timothy's hometown speak well of him to Paul And so Paul takes Timothy, he recruits him, he brings him on as a pupil and a disciple, and he takes him on his missionary journey with Silas. And over the years, the two develop a close relationship as Paul teaches Timothy, as he invests in Timothy, as he encourages Timothy, as he equips and empowers Timothy. First and second Timothy are written by Paul to Timothy, and they're a part of what we call of the pastoral epistles, which also includes Titus. And these letters are written from a mentor to 
an apprentice from an older person to a younger person. Paul famously says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, don't let anyone look down upon you because you're young, but set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. This morning we look at the introduction to 2 Timothy because of the three pastoral epistles, 2 Timothy has the most intimate tone to it. It's a very personal letter. And as you read it, you get a a window, a glimpse into the life of this unique relationship of mentor and protege. It's a personal letter because Paul is writing this letter at the end of his life. He's in prison for preaching the gospel, and he knows his execution is near. He says in chapter 4, the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul is looking back on his life as he's facing his end, realizing that time is running out. And what does he do? He writes this letter to Timothy, whom he loves. Paul understands that his time is running out. He doesn't have much time. So what's he going to do? He understands that passing on the faith, passing along the promise of life in Christ, as he says, teaching, bringing forth his legacy is what counts. He wants to spend his remaining days investing in the next generation. Later in his life, after Paul dies, Timothy Timothy will become the bishop of Ephesus. He's going to become a prominent and strong leader in the first century church. He'll be martyred for preaching the gospel in 95 AD. But he doesn't become that without Paul. Or at least God using Paul in Timothy's life. Last week we talked about friendship, and this week we're talking about mentoring relationships, but, but more than that, not just a matter of being a mentor or having a mentee, but passing along your faith, passing along what you've learned, passing along your life, the gospel, to those who are going to be coming after you, because all of us someday will face our end. Paul says in verse 3, I worship God as my ancestors did. Paul's faith was passed on to him from his ancestors. Many of you in this room are parents and grandparents. No one in this entire world has the opportunity to influence your kids and your grandkids for the good. For your grandparents, I have heard 
a lot of testimonies in my life, and I can't even count how many times I've heard someone say that they're a Christian because of their grandma or grandpa. Look what Paul says to Timothy in verse 5. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother, Lois, and then your mother, Eunice. We know Timothy's dad was Greek and probably died early on. When he first comes to faith, not by Paul, but by his mom and his grandma. Pastor John just mentioned Fred Rogers, who you all know I'm a big fan of. And whenever he was given an award at a ceremony, instead of giving an acceptance speech, he would often lead the entire audience in a moment of silence. And he would say, I want you all to take 10 seconds and just think for a minute about all the people that loved you into being, the people that shaped you, the people that helped you in your life to get to where you are today. Think about the people who molded you for the good. I want to do something similar this morning. I want us to take just a brief moment of silence. You can close your eyes if you would like. And I want you to think about the people that influenced your life for the good. Think about those people who molded you, who shaped you, people who showed you Christ and passed on their faith. Take a moment and think about that. I think about my parents. Neighbor, teachers, volunteers who helped out in my high school ministry, youth pastors, professors, so many people that have loved me, walked alongside me, prayed for me. I remember my youth pastor coming to my wrestling matches. He was the loudest person in the auditorium. He would stomp on the bleachers and he would scream, get him, Dan, get him. And everyone's looking at this crazy guy. But it made me feel so special. I remember Jeff, who was a businessman like a lot of you are. He didn't even have kids in the high school ministry, but he came every Wednesday night to our Bible study and he taught me about Jesus. Not through some biblical degree that he got, just, just his faith, just his love. I remember my high school teacher, Tom Airy, who is also a Christian, taking me out to coffee, asking me questions, listening to me, praying for me in the parking lot. Just two weeks ago, I had lunch with an old professor of mine, Ed Smith, who spoke at our men's retreat. He's retired now and very, very old. <laughs> I give him a hard time about that whenever I see him. Then he makes fun of me. But he, he still prays for me. 
He still texts me sometimes different things that he's reading and wants me to know that he loves me. Prays for my family. Whenever I've struggled, whenever I've doubted, I think about those people in my life who came before me and I find strength. I really do. We never get there alone. Friendships with our peers are important, but we also need to have those relationships in our life where we are pouring into them, where we are paying it forward. That which we have received from those who came before us, we are passing along to those who are going to come after us. A relationship with the very purpose of loving and giving back without expectation of what you will receive in return. Are we invested in the next generation? And I'm not just talking about our church programs. I'm going to a church that has a youth director and a children's ministry director. This isn't just Amanda and Becca's job. But are we, you, personally involved with a relationship with someone who is going to be coming after you? I believe every single person, every single person in this room has the ability, the opportunity, and even the responsibility to somehow, someway invest in the generation that's coming after us. Call it mentoring, call it discipling, call it encouraging, call it whatever you want. Just pass the love on to those who are coming behind you. Some of you might be thinking at this point, you know, I've made too many mistakes in my life. Or I, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't have the time. Or I'm not qualified. If you're thinking any of those things, especially maybe you've made too many mistakes or maybe you're not qualified, I want to encourage you this morning to think about the story of your life from a different perspective. Not as a series of random mistakes and mishaps that you've made, but a life of growth, a life of learning, a life of experience that has molded you and shaped who you are today, a life that is a story that is grafted on to God's great redemptive story. The truth is, your life is filled with experiences, successes, and failures, all of which, when you reflect upon them, offer something of truth to someone else. Especially your weaknesses and your failures. Leverage your mistakes for the sake of others. Don't let your life lessons die with you. If you're thinking that you've made too many mistakes or that you're not qualified, I would argue that you're more qualified 
Because there's wisdom in those mistakes. The moments I've respected my parents the most is when they have sat down with me and spoken honestly to me about their own mistakes in marriage, in money, in jobs, in family, in relationships. Don't we often say that God teaches us more through our failures than our successes? So why would we ever deprive the next generation of the wisdom we've gained through our own brokenness? Pride. We care more about what people think of us than what God can teach someone through us. But what does Paul say to Timothy? I am the worst of sinners. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Pretty sure in their journeys, Paul sat down with Timothy and told him about the murders he was involved in. His time persecuting the church, the screams that he heard, I think he shared that with Timothy. There's a lesson to be learned from that failed marriage. There's wisdom gained from that time you got fired. Where did you turn to when you flunked out? What happened when you filed for bankruptcy? How was God with you when your kid walked away? We all know that friends, we all know that young people are leaving the church in record numbers. Record numbers. What if we changed how we treat and how we talk to the next generation? What if instead of telling them everything that they're doing wrong, we humbled ourselves and started telling them the things that we've been doing wrong? Vulnerability and authenticity are powerful bridges. What if we stopped lecturing and started asking questions and listening and loving? What if we stopped judging and we started praying. Paul says in Timothy verse 3, I pray for you constantly, night and day. We need to stop worrying about the next generation and the state of the church, and we need to start praying night and day for all the young people that God has placed around us. And as you pray, and as you pray, and pray, and pray, they will constantly be on your heart and you're going to start thinking and strategizing ways in which you can show them that you love them and that you care about them. You're going to find ways to spend time with them. Can I take you out to lunch? I'll pay. Young people love that. <laughs> I know you're having car problems. Let me take a look under the hood for you. Show them that you care. Paul tells Timothy in verse 6, rekindle the gift of God that is within you. Paul sees the gifts and the skills that Timothy has and he encourages them. Find someone in the next generation coming after you and point out the good that you see in them. 
the gifts that they have, their potential. Don't make them feel guilty for not using those gifts yet, but help them see that they matter, that they have a role to play in God's epic story. They have a place at the table because what they have is important. And as you encourage and bless those coming after you, you will, friends, experience the joy of watching others grow. The only time Paul mentions joy in the three pastoral letters is when Paul mentions his desire to see Timothy. I long to see you, Timothy, that I might be filled with joy. Twice Paul invites Timothy to come see him. Again, he says in chapter 4, Timothy, do your best to come see me before winter. Time is short. See, friends, we were all made, created to pass on our life, our hard-earned wisdom, our love to the next generation. There is an unexplainable joy in it. Preacher Andy Stanley says, the value of your life is always determined by how much of it you give away. I've talked openly about seasons in my life where I've struggled. And I I know I've mentioned this before, but in my final year of seminary, when I was suffering from anxiety and wrestling with doubt, there was a professor at Fuller who was in his 70s and he had taken me out to dinner a number of times. He had spent time with me. He made himself available for me. And at the worst part of this season in my life, I reached out to him. And I asked him, who was much older than me, I wanted to talk to somebody who had years and years of experience and yet still believed in Christ. I wanted to hear from an older person. I asked him, have you ever struggled with doubt? And he says, yeah, when I was about your age. But now, God is as real to me as the air in my lungs. And he could say that well into his 70s, after losing his wife, after she suffered from MS for 20 years. And I know I've shared this story before, but that man's faith impacted me so much it still encourages me today. And it wasn't necessarily that he was a Bible scholar, but it was the fact that he believed. Even after everything he went through in his life, he had faith. Friends, sometimes that's all it takes is to say, I'm not perfect, but I've learned some things and I have faith in God and his grace is real. Don't wait for your Timothy to come to you. Find her. Find him. Take the initiative. Friends, if young people are leaving the church, that's on us.
Because if we show them love, if we offer them community, if we model for them grace and humility and faith, they're not going to want to miss it. Not with the way things are going on out there. They need it. They need us. But it takes some initiative for us to want to build those relationships. And for you younger folks, find your Paul, her or him, and learn. Ask questions. Receive love. Grow and be encouraged. Let's pray. O God of grace, in you we find forgiveness, love, meaning, purpose, and hope. Let us never commit the sin of holding on to that, of not sharing it with others. O God, if we believe you are real, may we believe enough to share that with those coming after us. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for the hope we find through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless you as you give.